in, this is now, this for show, let them know. That was them, this is me, this is King. Welcome back, welcome back once again. You know who it is. We can't afford to not record. So I'm back with Carrie, Chris. This is Mike. Welcome, Deep Cover Podcast. Uh, free agency edition, right? Uh, a lot of a lot of happenings to talk about uh, around the Ravens and free agency, unofficial, of course, all reported uh, till you get those physicals. But before we dive into it, let me touch base with my guys. I'll start with Chris. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I, I'm, you know, for the circumstances that we're in right now, this time, um, everything's pretty good, pretty good. Hopefully, everybody that's listening, hopefully, you know, everything is is going well for them, and uh, just try to stay positive. For sure, for sure. How about you, Kerry? Are you uh, social distancing in an appropriate way? Oh, I'm always about this social distancing, man. I do that anyway. <laughs> so I ain't really, <laughs> I really haven't changed my approach too much. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm doing good, man. Uh, you know, again, kind of reiterate what Chris is saying. I uh, hope everybody is staying safe, taking it seriously, you know, not trying to be out there partying, you know, being in in the way because i mean you're you're really you know making it tough for you know the elderly or the young if you're out there and you're not um you know practicing good habits so you know please wash your hands please wash your hands and um you know just stay out of the way and you know keep everybody else's safety in mind for sure man for sure you you hit on something right there i'm not i'm I'm tempted, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from it. I'm sure we I'm sure we've all seen that video with them spring breakers, man, talking oh, reckless, man, talking yeah, real exactly reckless, talking about, yeah, talking real reckless. See. Yeah, come on now, come on. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, I said I was gonna stay away from it. We got enough, <laughs> other, uh, you know, good stuff to talk about from a Ravens fan perspective. So. Um, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Let us start. I mean, where could we start? We could go anywhere we wanted to, but um, let's let's start with this because I think just chronologically, this was one of the first things that happened even before free agency. Well, at least the, the tampering period, and then actually official free agency began was uh Matt Judon getting attacked. Um, I think it was kind of anticipated. There had been a lot of reports about that. That is that that was the direction um, the Ravens were most likely gonna gonna go in. With him, uh, he got the linebacker tag as opposed to the defensive end tag. So cost him a couple million uh, right there. But now the question becomes, what happens next? So let me let me start off with you, Kerry. Yeah, he got the tag. That's great. But that's not the end of the story, is it? No, not at all, man. And it's been it's been strangely kind of quiet on that front. I mean, when. When he got the tag, he seemed to kind of respond well to it. He just said he knows he's going to be playing football next year. Um, the Ravens social media kind of did some things, um, you know, around that and, you know, kind of basically celebrated that, you know, he was getting the tag. Um, but after that, you haven't really heard that much besides just rumors of different teams having interest. Um, so, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's, it's kind of silent. I'm not really sure. I mean, I lean towards either him playing under the tag or him signing a long term extension with the Ravens. But um, I mean, honestly, I feel like it could it could go either way. Um, so, you know, I'm curious to see what you guys think 
um, you know, as far as it goes, because like I said, to me, it's been kind of quiet and you're not hearing a lean. Like, you know, typically you hear reports saying, you know, the Ravens, um, you know, are working on the extension, working on this, working on that. Um, but you don't really hear that in this case, except for other teams potentially being interested. So, you know, I'm curious to see um, where you guys feel like this thing is um, leaning. Yeah, before before I hit Chris on this, uh, you kind of just touched on it right there, Carrie. There was at least that one report about Seattle possibly having some interest and maybe the Ravens looking for a second um, or no later than maybe a third round pick. Um, but, Chris, let's say um, you're sitting in that big chair up in one winning drive. What would you do okay. with this Judon situation? You gonna extend him? You gonna trade him? What, what, what would you do, man? Um, I would like to extend him, but I'm not sure where he's at. Like, where's his number at? Where's the Ravens' number at? Because I feel like so Zadarius got 16.5, I believe, annually. So, I, of course, it would have to be bigger than that. So the question is, where do the Ravens want to go? Do they want to go 17-5? Do they want to go 18? Where's Judon? Is he at, you know, does he have it like in Jadavion's mind where Jadavion wants 20? Does he have that in his mind? Who knows? But I would I would try to find like a middle ground, maybe like 17-5, like a four-year deal, I would say. But I would definitely try to extend him unless a team is willing to just give up, you know, a crazy ransom for him then i would i'd be willing to deal him but but it would have to be you know something something large it, it can't just be like a, a third rounder or you know third and a fourth or something like that it would have to be something significant yeah i think i'm i'm pretty much on the same track as you um we've talked about this a bunch of times um on and off twitter i i admit i've got a little bias because i like the player i like judon as a player i like his versatility. I like what he brings to the defense um, just from, you know, a play style perspective. Um, I don't think that's something that always gets talked about a lot. But when you watch their film, he's a guy that plays with a relentlessness. Um, You'll see him flying across the field to get in on tackles. Right. Really, really where it's not his play, but just hustling to the ball. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just like his game. So I, you know, I, I throw that out there right up front that I've got a little bias, but like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tracking with you because, you know, if there's potential trade partners out there and you really like the conversation that they're offering, um, you know, oftentimes that can be hard to say no to. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to lean to, to like to see a long-term extension and probably, in that same range that you were kind of talking about. But here's the interesting thing, right? This this kind of leads us into the next topic. Um, the Ravens have unofficially um, acquired a couple of other pretty good defensive linemen. Pretty good. <laughs> Calais Campbell, which they, they actually did announce because that was through a trade, uh, fifth round pick that we all thought uh, was the Kari Vedvik pick. It turns out it was, it was the pick that they got back from uh, trading uh, Hayden Hurst to Atlanta. We'll touch on that one too. But just because this one kind of segues a little bit into the Judon discussion. So Calais Campbell comes over in a trade. Um, unofficially, they've signed Michael Brockers from the Rams. How does that kind of shape um, 
your and, and then, you know, we can we can talk about each guy individually. But just to kind of tie a bow on the Judon thing, I'm coming back uh, to you, Kerry. Does that shape or reshape your thoughts on Judon at all? If you say, well, we've got these two defensive linemen coming in. They're not outside linebackers. So they don't play that position. But still, you're bolstering your pass rush, um, you know, with these guys, in addition to, to you know, what they, they bring in the run game. Does that change anything for you with the approach towards Judon? I don't think it does. Um, the thing I like about Calais Campbell is because um, we have all of these these questions as far as who's going to be playing on the edge, um, you know, next season. And, you know, as good as an uh, interior rusher as Campbell is, as, as good as he defends the run, um, on third down, you can line him up on the edge, um, you know, on the four-man pass rush and he can get home so I mean I think that gives the Ravens some you know flexibility Um, but I think Chris is 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 right on with the number to me that that 17-5 range you know I would be all for locking Judon up at that number the question is 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 he um, looking for something over that number and if the Ravens are willing to meet that. And then um, another point Chris made as far as the trade market goes, um, if we're just talking a third round pick, maybe even a second round pick, I think I would rather have Judon than, than that, Um, you know, than, you know, some pick in that, in that range, Um, especially the surplus of picks that the Ravens have now and, their ability to be able to move around the board and do some things. Um, I think I would much rather have, um, you know, Judon on a long-term deal or even playing on a tag. And if, you know, they, they lose them next year, then they'll get that comp, that third round comp pick. Um, but I think uh, Calais Campbell and uh, Michael Brockers are, are they're kind of a separate case from, um, from what we're dealing with with Judon. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, Chris, I want to give you an opportunity too, just to kind of tie this back into the Judon discussion before we we give these two guys their the individual attention they deserve. I think I know your answer to that, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Does it <laughs> does it change anything for you with Judon bringing these two guys on, or or no? No, not at all. Um, you know, it, it's basically what what Carrie said. It's you know you want to keep him around. You want to. I know we spoke about this on. Um, I think it was the first episode where, where um, you know, we want to keep that continuity. Well, on the defense, uh, right now there's two new starters on the on the defensive line. So now if they move Judon, and then we don't know who's going to play opposite. That's going to be four new starters almost. And it's like you you can't you can't have that much change and just have a seamless transition. Like there's going to be some kind of learning curve there where where you're going to see a, a small dip in, in production and guys not playing to their potential just yet. So I think having him around, having him on that edge, like you said, they, Calais doesn't, he doesn't play that role. He plays many roles, but he, does that, he doesn't play the, the Matt Judon role. And keeping Judon on this defense, I think, is really, really important, especially with the question mark that you have on the, on the opposite end. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Again, I, I've I've kind of expressed how much I like him as a player and uh, his role um, from from play to play can be a pretty complex one. He can have a lot on his plate 
just, you know, from from play to play. Sometimes people will see it. They'll say, well, OK, well, he's rushing off the edge. You know, how complicated is that? And this is just something that I've come to as I've been kind of charting their their defense um, over over the break is that when people say, well, their defense is complicated. Right. You heard Earl Thomas talk about that. I think what I see is that it's complicated on certain calls and and certain roles are complicated on certain mm-hmm. calls. So it depends on what role you're playing on that individual defensive call. Your role can be pretty straightforward or it can be very complex, right? Where you have to read multiple things and, you know, if player A does this, then you react one way. If he does something else, you react another way. Maybe you're having to read from one to two plays. So it's kind of a long-winded way of saying, yes, it's complex. And I think that's why it's complex is because it's not as simple as saying, well, the overall structure and scheme is complicated. Well, no, it depends on the individual call and it depends on what each player's role is within that call. And I think that's what makes it, or at least one of the things that makes it really complicated. But let's let's talk about these two guys individually. And I guess even at the end, we can tag um, we, we can we can tag on them uh, bringing back Jaha Ward and Justin Ellis while we're kind of in the in the defensive line group. But not, not to give short shrift to these two, because these are these are two very good players. So. I'll start with Calais Campbell and I'll come back to you this time, Chris. I'll start with you. Um, he's a full grown man. It's the first oh, yeah. thing that you see just watching him on tape. <laughs> and uh, I think one <laughs> thing that, that you'll see with both of these guys, with Campbell and Brockers is, you know, very versatile in terms of alignment and where they can line up on the defensive mm-hmm. front. Oh yeah, most definitely. Uh, you could, there's times where you could see them, either one of them lining up at the nose. And then there's times where you could see them lining up over the guard. There's times where you could see them lining up over, over the tackle. And it's like that's that's rare to get. <laughs> and that just shows you it's a, a word that keeps coming up every time we speak. But it's multiple. And you want those guys on well, especially Wink wants those guys where you don't know who's coming from where or what position. And these two guys they bring that kind of versatility. Especially Calais. Calais is just—I mean, his you know his work speaks for himself. I mean, but just from an intangible sense, both of these guys were team captains last year. Both of those guys have great reputations when it comes to just their teammates talking about them. I saw an article about Weddle talking about um, Michael Brockers and you know the command that he had in the locker room and. Calais Campbell, he was he was in Jacksonville for three years, and the way people talk about him on the Jacksonville squad, you would think he was there for ten. And I believe that's probably something that the Ravens saw that they needed more of on the defensive side. It's just that leadership, that veteran leader presence. Because right now they only have Earl Thomas, who was in his first year, and then after that, who are the you know who are the captains really on the defense? Maybe Judon and. And Marlon, maybe. Yeah. And th- those guys are still young, too. And, and you know, for as long as they've been playing, they're, they're, they're still young. But now you have guys that have been in the league for years and, you know, well-established. And and to me, that's that's a valuable part as well, not just on the field, but, you know, what they bring off the field. Yeah, that's that's a very underrated point, I think, particularly if you put it or if you look at it through the lens of um, the Titans game, right? The loss to the, to the Titans. I think 
one of the themes that I walked away from with that game. I mean, you could you can talk about all the X's and O's and I've done that. But one of the themes um, that I took away from that was you are seeing a really young team. I mean, granted, they've got some veterans. They had some veterans. Some of these these guys aren't going to be back or it looks like they may not be back. Uh, but they had some veterans uh, at different positions. You know, obviously, we, you, you mentioned Earl Thomas. You can talk about Jimmy Smith, who's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Brandon Carr, who's a veteran who's been around. You know, there's some veterans guys, some veteran guys. And then if you look on the D line, um, you know, bringing in guys like Pecco and Ellis, guys that can have been around. Um, but now you're bringing in these guys who you you just described it, man. Team captains, leaders in the locker room, somebody who can really, you know, kind of kind of seize and, and command um, you know, a group, right? A defensive line group, a position group, and and, and the defense overall it even goes outside of their group. But um, you know, who who can really lead and and bring that established veteran presence? So when you get in these big games, you get in these big time pressure situations. You know, they've been there before, right? Rockers been to the Super Bowl uh, with the Rams. Uh, Calais Campbell been in you know champ, division championship games with the Jags. Um, I'm I'm old, so I can't even tell you what what happened back in Arizona. He might probably was in some big games back in Arizona too when he played there. So you get guys who who have that big game, that championship game pedigree, who've been there, right? And and I think that always helps. And I think with a younger team overall, like I said, I mentioned they, the the Ravens had some vets at certain positions, but they're an overall younger team. I think that's something that you need, and and you hit on it. You hit on. It. I think it's a very underrated point. Kerry, um, let me let me get your thoughts on on Calais Campbell. He uh, he's from what I've I've watched and I've, I've got about three, almost four games in on him. He's virtually impossible to block with one person, uh, <laughs> especially on the interior <laughs> guard guards and centers. You almost can't block him with one of those guys. Um, it's It's been really impressive to watch. So what are, what are your thoughts on on Calais and his fit? Yeah, my first kind of thought when I saw this trade go through uh, was if you want to really see what the advantage is to having Lamar Jackson on a rookie scale deal, then look no further than this trade and the Marcus Peters trade. Mm. Uh, They basically turned Kenny Young and two fifth round picks into two of the best players at their respective positions in all of the NFL. And they were able to do that because they had the cap space to absorb uh, these guys' contracts. These are two guys that were – forgot what Peter's number was, but, you know, we know Campbell's deal was $15 million. You know, Peter's was double-digit um, million, maybe 12 13 at least. Um, so, you know, to be able to absorb those, those kind of contracts and – uh, to double down on that by being able to extend these guys, Campbell for one year and then Peters for three, um, it's just huge, um, you know, to be able to acquire the, these kind of talents, um, you know, while Lamar is on that rookie scale deal is just huge. And just speaking to uh, Calais Campbell as a talent, like you say, um, interior wise, you're not blocking this guy with one guy. I mean, mm-hmm. period. Nah. And, um, you know, I was kind of surprised. I mean, once that trade went through, I'm like, man, look, we can kick our feet up until uh, <laughs> into the draft because <laughs> I was not expecting the Ravens to be able to fortify a knee in this manner this quickly. Like, 
smack that right into free agency and they 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 get a guy that can play the run but they can be that interior disruptor on um on third downs and you know when you look at what they have across the board they have they have an ability to be able to keep him fresh as well which is something i really like so you know when we we're getting into those four quarters and you know the ravens are trying to protect the lead uh you know Calais campbell is not a guy that, that that'll have you know 50 snaps going into the uh, fourth quarter you know he, he's a guy that that because of the depth they've been able to build now he's a guy that you can keep fresh and you will be able to kind of unleash him in the fourth quarter so um that was my biggest kind of takeaways from it is just you know them being fortunate enough to have Lamar in that rookie deal and and really capitalizing on it by seeing this opportunity to fortify a need with you know one of the best very best guys at his position even at his advanced age he's still you know one of the very best defense alignment uh in the league Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the risk of getting um, in a little bit over my head, I, I really should uh, point everybody to uh, Raven salary cap, Brian McFarland. But it appears that they were able to do some of these deals, taking advantage of some some flexibility that the new CBA created, where they're able to create this you know pretty low cap number in their first year and then kind of backload. That's not that's not necessarily a new thing to see deals that are backloaded. I mean, that's happened before in the NFL, but to do it with the anticipation that, um, you know, the cap's going up in 2021 with uh, the new TV deal, you know, sort of looming and, and coming to fruition around that same time. So teams really thinking like there's really going to be a big bump or anticipating there's really going to be a big bump in the cap in 2021. So we can really kind of structure these deals to get these guys in on a low number in 2020 and kind of push some of that off to 2021. And now, you know, of course, there's there's always a, a pay the piper kind of situation when you do that. But just, um, you know, it, just another example of how uh, Eric DaCosta and then this front office, how they're they're kind of looking for every advantage, right? Every competitive advantage that they can get. And I'm sure other teams around the league doing the same thing. But just, you know, it, it's just good to see that. Uh, they're not one of those teams because I, I shouldn't say that every team around the league is not doing that. Obviously, we see teams out there making <laughs> bad moves and, um, you know, probably structuring things and in, in a less than advantageous way. So I'm glad that they're on the other side of that. But Kerry mentioned, um, you know, the, this defensive group and defensive line group and being able to rotate a guy like Calais Campbell and keep him fresh. One of those guys that could potentially give him, uh, you know, some snaps off is Michael Brockers. I'm, I'm sure they'll be on the field sometimes. Uh, together, but you know, you you could also envision some scenarios where one guy kind of is able to give the other guy a bit of a blow. So, Chris, I'll come back to you. Michael Brockers, another guy who I've got about three or four games in on. Um, thing that stood out to me, something you and I have talked about, we as we've you know talked about draft prospects, uh, a trait that I've been um, infatuated with this year is length. And this dude's got 35 inch arms, uh, mm-hmm. so you know that was right right up my alley. But um, let me get your thought on Brockers, man, and his fit uh, with the Ravens. Uh, I actually started watching him to, uh, earlier today uh, because, you know, as you guys know, NFL Game Pass is now free for everyone to use. So, Amazing. Amazing. Till, Mar- till May, I think they said. <laughs> I feel like a sucker for paying for it, but anyway, <laughs> it is what it is. 
Look at God. Look at God. <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> so I, I got to watch uh, some of his games, and um, the, like you said, the main thing that jumped out was his length. And I know a couple days ago we spoke about this, this uh, because I, I remember watching him three years ago, and he was way bigger. Like mm-hmm. his, like his legs were bigger. Like he just had, you know, everything was bigger, and he was playing more nose guard for the, uh, for the Rams back like three, four years ago. But now when I look at him, because I didn't really pay attention, I haven't been paying attention to Michael Brockers really. Um, it's it's hard to just focus on Michael Brockers when he's, you know, lining up next to Aaron Donald every play. <laughs> Yes, so, but in sitting down and, you know, watching him today, I was like, whoa, this guy's a completely different player. His his body's transformed. He's slimmer now, but he's still stout. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not getting ran over or anything like that. So he was able to keep still keep his strength, but he's a way better mover than he was before. And like you said, his arm length, it's just there's plays where he just bench presses dudes and they go like two yards away from him and then he's able to just you know rip right under them and make a play it's it's really amazing to watch because he uses guys kind of as like dummies so he'll he'll take a guard move him to the right but keep his head to the left so the running back could see his head to the left but what he's doing he's setting up the running back because he knows he's just going to toss this guard to the to the other side and then just close that hole right up. And there, there was a play specifically against um, the Panthers where he oh, does yeah. that. And oh, yeah. uh, it was it was beautiful. And you just see that over and over again where he's because you mostly see running backs trying to set guys up and trying to manipulate defenders. But he was manipulating running backs and having them go where he wanted them to go. And it was it was really fun to watch and, and to actually see someone who's talented and also has the physical capability to do those kind of things. I think I can visualize that exact play only because yeah. I was watching that Panthers game earlier today. Just just by chance, I you know I'd started out with some different games uh, of those those three or four games I watched, and then I said, well, let me just go back to the beginning, and um, I'm figuring. You know, it's crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just watch them all. Let's watch all of them. <laughs> so I went all the way back to the beginning. And I remember that exact play that you're talking about. And you're right. It's it's It really speaks to his mental processing, mental awareness, because it's, it's a complete setup from the very beginning, mm-hmm. right? To, to get his head in that gap on the other side, get the running back <clears> to see that, because running backs are, are, are often taught to read that. They're reading hats, right? They're reading helmets. If you're if you see a defensive helmet or they're reading color, coaches yep. use these buzzwords. You see color in your gap, then you're going to go the other way. Well, because he's powerful enough, he's just going to snatch that dude away, and then now he's going to be on the opposite side of that gap. So when you try to cut to the left after seeing him in the gap in your right, he's just going to snatch that lineman out of the way, and then he's going to be there in that gap on the left, and he's going to make the play <laughs> or force you into a teammate. Um, who can make the play. And that's something, a comment I saw before um, I get your thoughts, Kerry. I saw that from Aaron Donald about Brockers. When Aaron Donald said, look, he's one of the best run defenders in the league. And he doesn't really get credit for that. And he said, he he really allowed me to to be me, right? To mm-hmm. do all the things that I do. And, you know, you people talk about the plays I make and all that. It it really was because of his play that allowed me to do, to do some of those things. So that's always cool uh, when a teammate, you know, is willing to, to, kind of give that respect 
um, to another guy who maybe does a little bit more of the dirty work, right? And doesn't, doesn't get, you know, some of the, the highlight plays and um, the attention that a guy like Donald gets, which is well-deserved, not taking anything away from Donald, but just kind of cool to see him speak about Brockers in that way. So, Kerry, um, get your thoughts on Michael Brockers and how you see him fitting into this defensive line group. Yeah, that the Brockers thing was immediate, um, you know, right after the Campbell trade, you know, very early into free agency. And for me, I play I pay very close attention when the Ravens act quickly in free agency. Um, Mike, the last conversation we had, you know, you summed it up perfectly um, with the analogy about the Ravens. You know, they're not shopping at the front of the store. They're they're back on those clearance racks trying to see what's popping, you know, back <laughs> there trying to get a little deal. So, you know, when they identify a guy um, early on, to me, it speaks volumes. And, you know, the minute he signed this contract, I was kind of waiting and seeing what Michael Pierce was going to get to kind of compare those deals. And, you know, those deals ended up being pretty similar. In fact, Brockers got a couple million more. Um, And I think what it came down to is, the Ravens um, view Brockers as just a more versatile player, you know, a better complementary piece to everything else that they have, you know, along the line. Um, Chris alluded to it, you know, in his conversation about Brockers. He's a guy that has history at the nose, uh, 35-inch arms. I mean, this dude can literally play anywhere across the front. So when you have him playing anywhere across the front, Calais Campbell been, being able to play anywhere across the front. Um, and then you have, you know, Warmly, who was a starter last year and now becoming the fourth guy uh, that, that comes back to what I was talking about before as far as being able to keep these guys fresh. Um, and you will talk, you know, later, you know, about the other addition, Justin Ellis, you know, bringing him back into the fold. Now you got a fifth guy who can, um, at 350 pounds, can give you some um, snaps at that zero technique. So now you have, uh, you know, very well-established group um, with, you know, lots of experience, but also the ability to impact both the, the you know, the running game and the, and the passing game. Yeah, that was, that was I think, one of the things for me with signing both of those guys with, well, one was a trade, but uh, with Campbell and Brockers is yes, they can play the run. Um, They're actually, they're they're very good against the run, but both of them, you know, probably bring a little bit more in the pass rush department um, than what the Ravens have had from a defensive lineman in a while. Right. They've, they've had obviously some, some pass rush from guys in that kind of outside linebacker position. Obviously, everybody knows about Sizzle, but even if you were to go to to Zadarius or go back further with Doomerville, of course, Judah, we talked about him at the top. That's that's where a lot of their pass rush production had come from. I guess you could even throw McPhee in there, his, his first go round uh, before he came back last year. But now they really got two guys who are primarily going to line up uh, probably on that interior, at least from from the tackle uh, from the tackles in, right? They they certainly could play a five technique or maybe even stick out a little bit more on the edge, but I think you're primarily going to see them from lining up on the outside shoulder of a tackle and then, you know, kind of back in from the guards to the center. They just really haven't had, um, you know, pass rush impact from those positions in a number of years. And, and I think both of those guys 
can offer that. And, and since you mentioned him, Kara, it's professional segue right here. This is what happens <laughs> when you work with pros. It, it, the, the, the jokes tell themselves, right? That's what comedians say. Um, let's talk about Jelly. Uh, Justin Ellis and then Jihad Ward. Jihad Ward, uh, another guy that I was a big fan of when they brought him on last year because, to to Chris's point, there's that word again, multiple. A guy who was able to line up on the defensive line, a guy who was able to give them some snaps at outside linebacker. And quiet is kept. You know, the numbers, you know, if you're looking at sacks and that kind of thing, you may say, oh, I didn't really see a whole lot going on there. Um, you know, he came in kind of midway through the season, but uh, I think. I charted him for like 24 pressures in those 11, 11 games or so that he played. He's a guy that, you know, can can get after the quarterback probably a little bit more than you than than you might expect. Um, but, Chris, let me start back with you on those two guys. Um, what are your thoughts about bringing back uh, Jihad Ward and my man Jelly Ellis? So you see what you just said, because I'm not I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not completely familiar with with Ellis because he didn't really play that much with the Ravens. He was inactive for, yeah. I think almost, was it all games or just he was active like one or two games? Yeah, he got, he got in. Yeah, I'm going to say he was active for two games, maybe. Yeah. He got, he got in a little action, but you're right. Not, not a ton. Yeah. So I wasn't, um, I was a little bit, a little bit surprised by that. Um, not saying that, you know, he didn't deserve it or anything like that. Because they're the ones that see him practice and they can see what he what he does. But that number that you just brought up with the pressures, that's surprising. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. But I well, mean, that was for Jihad Ward. That was for oh, Jihad. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was for Jihad. Oh, yeah, well, you yeah. see, Jihad, if we're talking about Jihad, then yeah, I could talk about some Jihad Ward. Um, yeah. So yeah, Ward was uh, he was a godsend for them this year because he was able to line up inside. He was able to line up outside, like we saw in that San Francisco game where he stopped the leaking. Because they were just running the same play over and over again on the same side, and it was working. Uh, J- you know, Jalen Ferguson, you know, he's a rookie. There's going to be growing pains. But there was just a game where, you know, he just he needed to be taken out. And luckily, they had Jihad Ward there who could, you know, actually, you know, stop the run and and not have that, that huge, you know, just like turnstile that was there. At the in the beginning of the game, and for them to bring him back, it just adds you know even more pieces to this defensive line, and you know it's exciting to see because he's he's a guy that can line up anywhere you know just like the other ones can, like um, Brockers and uh, Calais Campbell. So it's it's big to bring those those guys back to have Wink play with these new toys who. You know, maybe he doesn't blitz as much. Maybe he blitzes the same. But when you have these guys in place, it'll be way more effective than it was last year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so Carrie, I mean, this may seem kind of like a duh question, but when you bring back two guys like that, Justin Ellis, like we say, he played, you know, kind of pretty limited role, but he gives you some depth at that nose tackle zero technique position now that Pierce is gone. Brandon Williams kind of really is the guy at that position. These other guys, not that they couldn't line up there and do it, um, but, you know, their, their skill set, you might want to use them, you know, elsewhere. But now, you you know, Justin Ellis is a guy who can who can take snaps uh, head up on the center. And then, you know, Chris just talked about Jihad Ward's versatility. But I guess the the long way of setting up the duh question is, so both of those guys played on a team that went 14 and two last year. Can it ever be a bad thing 
to bring back guys from a team that went 14 right. and two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my thoughts, um, Ward to me was he was one of the most important um, re-signings this team could possibly make. Uh, you know, when you consider the questions they have on the edge with, you know, we're not sure at this point if Judon is going to be back. Um, you know, they don't really have a lot else established uh, on the edge. Uh, uh, Ward is a guy that, you know, Again, we were just talking about it, how he stopped the bleeding in that San Francisco game. You know, good ed setter, good run defender. Um, at the very least, as an edge defender, he's going to be able to eat up some early down snaps for you. Um, so if you get into a situation where, um, you know, I'd imagine that edge is going to be a position, regardless of what Judah does, um, Edge is going to be a position that they draft very early on, you know, within the first couple of rounds. And um, they're going to lean on that, whoever that is, to play some snaps. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of risky when a guy doesn't have experience. So you need a guy like War, who at the very least can eat up those snaps um, as a run defender on first and second down. But then he gives you the added um, flexibility to kick inside on third down and rush from the interior. Uh, so I thought that was a um, a key, just a huge, huge, huge um, re-signing. Um, Ellis was one that I was a little bit surprised by. I honestly thought that if they would have brought back a defensive tackle, um, it would have been uh, Damata Pecco. Mm. Um, but Ellis is a younger guy. Uh, Ellis has history of production versus the run. I mean, he's not that far removed from being a star in uh, nose tackle uh, in the league. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough to really say because we just didn't see him get those opportunities. But again, as Chris pointed out, uh, they watch these guys every day in practice. So they 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 know, you know, what it is they're dealing with. And so for them to um, prioritize Ellis over Pecco, uh, you know, tells me, you know, all I need to know uh, as far as that 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 signing goes, they, they feel like there's some untapped potential there with Ellis. I mean, he's I believe he's 30 and Pecco is, you know, uh, well into his thirties. Um, so I, I think they still see some potential there as a guy that can give them, um, you know, quality snaps versus the run. No doubt. No doubt. Well, look, we've gave the defense a lot of attention in the early part of the show. Now let's flip over to the offense. And um, I guess we got to talk about the Hearst. The Hurstesses, <laughs> the two Hurst, Hayden Hurst and James Hurst. Um, let's start with Hayden first. Um, so another trade situation where uh, the Ravens trade Hayden Hurst to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I think Atlanta got, um, in addition to Hurst, obviously the player, they got one of the Ravens 2024 round picks and Baltimore got back um, the Falcons second round pick. And their fifth round pick, which they actually used um, in the Calais Campbell trade. So um, that that pick didn't didn't stick around long. Um, but let's 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 start with Hayden and then, you know, we can we can touch on James Hurst uh, when we're done. So as everybody knows, Hayden Hurst, first round pick, um, former first round pick, same same draft where they selected um, Lamar later in that round. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at that and they're going to say, you know, 
but I ain't busted too strong of a word because I think that he contributed. Uh, he had a role, um, a pretty well-defined role in this team. Now, you know, you can you can look at, at the draft capital and say, well, you expect more out of a guy drafted at that spot. And I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree. I couldn't argue with anybody who says that. But I just think because of, you know, the, the, the role that he did fill and the contribution that he did make, I can't quite call it a bus. Right. I just I, I don't think I could quite go that far now. You know, you, you get back some some pretty decent comp- compensation for him, you know, in terms of that second and that fifth, particularly that second round pick. Um, with, you know, the depth at some of the positions in this draft, whether that's wide receiver or, you know, another position, um, you know, having multiple second round picks uh, is, is something that, you know, you, you really can't can't feel bad about uh, if you're able to put yourself in that position uh, with this particular draft. So, um, Chris, let me go back to you. Let's let's talk about Hayden and, you know, um, taking any direction you want to go, man, the trade itself, the compensation. And, and just, you know, Hayden and, and his time in Baltimore and kind of how you feel about it. Um, so I, I love the trade because um, it, it just seems like uh, Hayden, he was you could tell he was fed up a little bit with his his role in the in the offense. And I believe it was I forget which which game it was where you could hear him on the broadcast yelling, like, give me the ball. Or like I was open. He said something. He, he yelled out. And it was it was a, a frustration that you could see. And, you know, I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, he's what is he going to be? Twenty seven. Mm. So the, the clock is, is ticking on him. And, and yeah. he, he wants to show what he can do. I mean, he believes he can, you know, do better than he's, you know, than he's done in his career. And, and I don't blame him because there are flashes there. You just go back to the Buffalo game where he has that that huge gain. There aren't a lot of tight ends that could do that no. in the league. And um, and then the, the blocking, the versatility that he brings to the table. He's a talented guy. There's no question about that. But in terms of his fit in the Ravens defense, I mean, the Ravens offense, sorry. We were talking about defense so much. I wanted to put him on the defensive <laughs> side, too. <laughs> but um, in the Ravens offense where he's, you know, he's clearly not, you know, not on the, the level of, you know, Mark Andrews or, you know, even Hollywood Brown or even Willie Sneed when it comes to Lamar's progressions. I mean, there's there were times where Lamar would just throw it to him because he didn't have anybody else to throw it to. And, you know, that's that's something Lamar has to work on as well. Uh, it isn't an indictment on on Hurst's talent because he like I said, he's a talented guy. And, and I think his fit in the, on the Falcons is, good, is tremendous. I think he's going to do well with them. But. With that being said, when you can get a second round pick for a guy who's essentially your number three tight end, uh, that's to me, that's that's great compensation to get a second and a fifth round pick for him. Yeah, it's 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 hard to knock it. It's hard to knock it. That's for sure. So, uh, Carrie, let me let me get your thoughts on on the deal and and Hayden Hurst and uh, um, how you how you feel about the trade and, and what do you see? Um, his future maybe being with Atlanta. Yeah. Um, when the Hearst kind of trade rumors first started coming about, um, I just didn't expect anything to happen. Um, I looked at it as, you know, the situation of him being um, behind Andrews and being behind um, Boyle and teams needing tight ends. I, I, I 
felt like they looked at it as a um, kind of a place where they could try to buy low. And, and um, you know, the Ravens really weren't in a position where they, they needed to do that. I mean, he, he was on a rookie scale deal. Um, he still had a role within the offense. And um, he was a productive player in that role. I mean, he he caught everything that came to him um, this year. I mean, very sure hands and, you know, did what he needed to do. Um, pretty much, I mean, what it came down to is um, Atlanta was in a tough spot from a couple different situations. Uh, one, they didn't have um, any cap space, really. Uh, two, uh, the draft class this year is short on um, inline tight ends that are ready con- to contribute right away. So um, Eric DaCosta was able to provide a player for them um, that's on a rookie scale deal and is ready to contribute right away. And um, he used that leverage to get a, a quality deal. I mean, let's call it what it is. It was an overpay. Um, but, you know, Atlanta, because of those factors, were you know, willing to do that. And, you know, the Ravens were able to capitalize on it. Um, looking at his fit in Atlanta, I, I like it, you know, especially, you know, we'll get to fantasy, you know, as we go along in this show, I think he's one of those uh, fantasy sleeper tight ends. I, I feel like he's a guy that um, because of the draft capital they gave up to give um, to get him, he's definitely going to get every opportunity to jump right into that, um, Austin Hooper role and you know I think he he'll do well in that I mean to me he can block well enough to you know be out there and be in line Uh, he's not going to maul you by any means but I think he can you know show well enough to be on the field and again this guy was very very sure-handed this year and uh, you know has some untapped um, you know potential athletically um you know, to really produce for them. So I think this was one of those, uh, you know, win-win trades where the value was just too much for the uh, the Ravens to, to pass up on. Yeah, I like that point about um, fantasy. Uh, obviously, I'm, uh, you know, just like sitting at the kiddie table uh, when we talk about fantasy <laughs> and you're speaking. I'm like looking over there at the adult table, like, all right, let me be quiet and listen to what they're saying. <laughs> but I, I, I really like his fit in that Atlanta offense and and really the potential for that that offense as a whole. If you look at the guy who was there playing tight end, Austin Hooper for them last year, he I think he's reportedly got a deal with the with the Browns. I didn't realize this. I kind of was just looking up some stuff when I heard Hayden was going there. He caught 75 balls last year for almost 800 yards. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, there, it's not an apples to apples thing. It's not like you you just, you know, take Hooper out, put Hayden in, and he catches 75 balls too. But the opportunity should be there for sure. And you look at their offense as a whole, even – even so obviously people know about Julio, Calvin Ridley. Um, but even down to their offensive line, I did not realize this. I'm literally just looking at this now, and it kind of blew my mind. They have seven former first round picks of the 11 stars on offense, four first round picks on the offensive line. <laughs> Matt Ryan, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley were all first round picks. So there's a lot of talent uh, on that offense. And I know people look at the record and how things went last year, even though they kind of finished strong there at the end uh, to probably save Gus Bradley's job. Um, but I, I, I like that as, as kind of a place to look next year for maybe, you know, um, some 
some some points, some scoring that people might not necessarily. Obviously, everybody knows about Julio, but people might not necessarily think about some of the other parts of that offense. And uh, so they got some firepower there. But anyway, like I said, that's 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 me talking from the kitty table. Um, <laughs> let's talk about James Hurst now. Kind of a polarizing guy. Uh, among Ravens fans, I think uh, I've always been a James Hurst fan, a supporter fan, might maybe too strong for work, a supporter, um, because I think about I always have a soft spot for guys um, who kind of come into the league kind of as underdogs, you know, undrafted free agent, really have to compete and kind of carve out a niche for yourself uh, in terms of a roster spot. And then, you know, those guys, unless they just turn into like, you know, immediate or, or like clear cut stars, uh, which doesn't happen a lot. They're almost fighting for their position every year. Right. They might make the team one year and you're like, all right, great, I'm here. But it's really not the case that way when you're an undrafted free agent. I mean, you can see that with Gus Edwards. It's almost like Gus is fighting for his spot every year, despite what he's done in the previous year. And I think Hearst, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, kind of was kind of in that same role. But he was a guy who I think his his best asset was his versatility. The fact that he could play guard, the fact that he could play tackle, you know, and people would say, OK, well, great. He come in and he, he was terrible at, at both. I don't agree with that, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I could see, you know, how some people could, could feel some of his performances. He certainly had some performances that weren't great, but be that as it may. This is, you know, uh, a guy who was a rotational player, a deaf player in your offensive line, a swing player who allowed you basically to do a two for one uh, on game day because, you know, you can use that roster spot that he saves you somewhere else because he can play at least two spots on the O-line. And, you know, the PED uh, suspension was probably a little bit of the writing on the wall. Uh, and then obviously the money that they could save with his contract. So long story short. He's released. And um, Chris, let me go back to you. What do you think that that move coupled with Marshall Yonda's retirement? We talked about this a little bit, but but I don't think the Hearst move was was announced back then. Um, How does that shape your view on the offensive line and and how the Ravens should approach that in terms of uh, not rebuilding, but retooling uh, the offensive line? Um, I think it's it's huge because, I mean, right now they have a couple of question marks with Ben Powers and uh, Patrick McCarry. So both guys, you know, when they've played, they've done, you know, fairly well, but the jury's still out. There isn't, you know, enough of a sample size to say, yeah, this guy's going to be good. But, all right, so let's just say those two guys are starters. Just the way the NFL is and, you know, every year – and the injury bug just jumps around from team to team. And the Ravens have been incredibly lucky when it comes to the injury bug, especially last year. But if one of those guys on the line gets hurt, it's like, who's going to jump in and be the backup? They don't have any backups right now, any proven backups. But anyway, but, I mean, they have Andre Smith, but it's Andre Smith, you know, really the guy that you want to lean on. Yeah. But. Right now, and I'm not saying Hurst was that guy either because we've seen a decline in his play as well. But uh, I just think that it's it's imperative for them to really focus on the line, um, not just not just because of you know these, not just because they released Hurst, but because you can't rely on on Lamar to just you know 
figure figure his way out of messes if the line isn't as great isn't as great as it could be. We've seen teams try to lean on on these mobile guys. When you look at uh, Deshaun Watson, you look at Russell Wilson, you look at Andrew Luck, you look at Cam Newton. All of those guys were mobile, and it seems like those front offices were just content with trying to put other weapons around them and negating the offensive line because, oh, he's mobile. He can just, you know, find his way out. He can survive. It's not like we have a, a Peyton Manning back there who won't be able to move. They kind of take the mobile for the you know, mobility for granted. But I don't want the Ravens to do that with Lamar. I want them to have that solid line in place. And, you know, we don't we don't want him to get destroyed. I mean, look where Andrew Luck is now. Andrew Luck isn't, you know, he's not even playing anymore. Cam Newton is, you know, limping around looking for another team right now. And, you know, these are young guys. These aren't old dudes. Tom Brady's 57 years old. <laughs> and, and look, these are young guys that are, you know, like taping their bodies up to just try to play. And, you know, we don't want that with Lamar. We definitely don't want that with him. So protecting him and keeping this run game going as smoothly as possible, that is the number one thing, in my opinion, for them. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's not make that mistake, right? There's enough of a track record out there um, that should tell anybody uh, that's a team builder, uh, you know, in a front office position that that ain't the move. Uh, so, Gary, um, let me hit you real quick on James Hurst again. Um, you know, people may kind of look at the move and, and not see it as as a big deal, but as I mentioned, this is a guy that uh, has played. Over 3,000 snaps in his career. I don't know if people realize that. Um, and you can even go back to, um, you know, his rookie year, that 2014 year, where I can remember. I think it was a Pittsburgh playoff game. Um, that that first playoff, game. he had to play, right? As a, as an undrafted rookie, he had to come in and play tackle in that game. Because um, I can't remember who it was who was hurt that game. Who was the starting tackle? Was it Eugene Monroe? This guy, I might be getting my my years. That might have been after Eugene, but I'm pretty sure that. James Hurst had to play in that game. So he's had to come in and play in some big spots. And again, just that versatility to be able to move back and forth between guard and tackle. I mean, I think he probably had his best year at guard in 2017. So he's gone. Um, Marshall obviously is retired. So um, let me get your thoughts on the state of this Ravens offensive line. Yeah. So with James Hurst, um, I, I went into it, and I think we talked about this on um, – one of the previous pods, uh, but I kind of looked at him almost like that. His cap savings, almost like that, you know, that extra money in the cookie jar, you know, if, if you don't quite have enough, you know, we can hit the piggy bank and, you know, tap into that James Hurst cap space and, you know, do a little something. Now they did it, you know, a little bit earlier than what I thought, but I think, um, his kind of cut just, um, um, reinforces the fact that in this draft, I think they need to find um, one interior office alignment that's worthy of playing snaps in 2020. And I think they need to find a swing tackle that they feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, if God forbid one of the tackles were to go down, somebody that can, that can come in and, and give them, you know, at least, uh, you know, C minus C plus type of play at, at that tackle spot. So I, I think that's going to be really important, you know, that those um, 
you know, second, third, fourth round picks, um, you know, by the time they get out of the fourth round, I would like to see them have an interior office alignment and, uh, you know, a swing tackle slash, you know, insurance at right tackle kind of player. And, you know, maybe that swing tackle is a guy that they found later in, um, in free agency. But I think they definitely need to shore up both of those positions. You know, they need a guy that um, can come in and, and, and preferably as far as the uh, interior office line goes, it would be great if they can find somebody that can play, uh, you know, center and guard. Because right now, until we know um, – when Scorer is going to be able to get back on the field, Makari is the only, um, you know, center on the roster. So, I mean, that right there alone, you you have to have at least somebody else uh, in camp that can snap a ball. So, um, you know, I think it's important to definitely uh, attack the interior offensive line. Uh, and again, important to get a third tackle in there. Um, Andre Smith, We'll kind of see what happens with him. I don't want to say he's a camp body, but I also don't want to uh, say he's a guy that they should be leaning on and and um, writing in pen as far as a guy that's going to be on their 53-man roster. Um, so I think they need to kind of, um, you know, be aggressive with that bench and, uh, you know, create some competition going into our training camp. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I'm looking at our rundown and I've been avoiding this one. So it's going to make me a little sad uh, <laughs> because I, 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 you know, we throw this word around a lot. We talk about, we use it every day. You know, we talk about, we love this. We love that. I, I really do love this guy uh, that we're about to talk about as a player, maybe even more as, uh, you know, off the field. I know I've mentioned to you guys, I've been doing my charting that Brandon Carr maybe has lost a step a little bit in man-to-man coverage and and can be taken advantage of uh, in some matchups in that way. But just such a versatile guy on the field, right? He he made this transition, uh, really probably started back in 2018, playing some snaps at safety. And then this year, you know, really kind of moved back there, um, you know, almost wholesale um, after Chuck Clark uh, became the star when Tony Jefferson went down. So the ability to make that transition, the ability to still play some cornerback to match up with different positions, you know, kind of from either position and then off the field. I mean, just, you know, you, you know about his foundation, um, you know about all the work he does in the community. Everybody kind of probably knows the story about his mom being a breast cancer survivor and um, and then just the locker room, um, just his presence, professional. I think I mentioned to you guys when I went to training camp last year, just the way that he worked um, in between practice reps, even when he wasn't practicing, when he was getting a vet day, always kind of doing little things, working on technique, footsteps, you know, transitions, flipping his hips, just always working on little things, finding ways to, to squeeze in work on technique, even when they were doing warm ups and he was just jogging. He's still working on transitions where everybody else is just going up and down the field. He's doing a little transitions and turns, you know, in between. So um, you can you can tell um, I'm big time in the tank for him. But uh, I understand money. I understand age. You know, this, this is part of the game. Um, but it's still pretty sad to me. Um, so, Kerry, let me go to you first, man. It looks like and I, I think we, we saw the announcement from Jeff, Jeff Rebeck. 
from the athletic earlier today that the team is, is going to decline um, his option. And uh, doesn't mean he couldn't come back in some kind of restructured, you know, sort you know, kind of way. We don't know. Um, but it looks like right now that he's going to be able to go out there and, and look for other opportunities. So, Kerry, what, what do you think about Carr and, um, you know, kind of maybe where that leaves um, the, the defensive back uh, group right now? Right. Yeah. I don't want to be like hyperbolic, you know, when I say this, but um, this card, this is this is kind of low key a big deal, man. You know, this is a guy that, um, you know, he gives you uh, ability as an outside corner. Uh, they put him at safety last year. And I mean, to me, the most impressive thing was his work at slot corner. He hadn't played a lot of slot corner, um, you know, over his career coming into uh, coming into this year. And he picked slot corner up, you know, right away, you know, being in that spot, being able to look at the um, um, quarterback size, being physical, even gave you some ability as a blitzer. Um, you know, this is a this is kind of a big deal, man. I mean, he was playing that deep safety role that allowed um, Chuck Clark. Uh, to play up closer to the line and that dime. And we know how um, beneficial that is to the team, having him close to the line and being able to put guys in position and, uh, you know, do different things. And so that is, uh, you know, that may not show up um, when, you know, when different sites and everybody's doing their needs list and they're looking at depth charts, um, you know, Brendan Carr isn't going to show up as, you know, um, a need to be um, filled, but it's definitely a need to be filled. That that's something they're going to have to address. I mean, I mean, you could just play Car. Um, I'm not Car. I'm sorry, Clark in that deep safety role, and maybe uh, Deshaun Elliott is ready to you know to chip in. But he's a guy that's had some injury history. Uh, you have Anthony Levine right now. He's um, not signed. You know, you could bring him back, and obviously he has done some strong work as a uh, dime back, but, um, you know, that's something that the Ravens are going to have to address one way or the other. I mean, they, they're going to need at the very least somebody else that can come in and play that deep safety role. Um, but to have a guy that again can back up at deep safety, can back up at slot corner and can back up at boundary corner, um, is huge. And for it to be a guy with that kind of leadership, uh, with that kind of experience, with that kind of respect in the locker room, um, that's a big deal. So, you know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers and holding out hope that, that um, you know, they are able to kind of bring him back at a number that makes sense for him and his family, uh, but also makes sense, uh, you know, for the Ravens, too. So I'll be crossing my fingers for that. But, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, um, I'll be, you know, peeping out the, the, the safeties, um, in this class and, you know, maybe pushing it up a little bit higher in the priority list than, you know, a lot of people might, might think just because of how, um, successful that dime was and how that can be a staple going forward, but you need to have the players of the, um, you know, of quality caliber to be able to run that, you know, to the best of uh, your ability. Yeah, Chris, let me let me get your thoughts on this one, man. Should I be should I be oh, pouring man, one out? So sad, man. I, know, man. It's <laughs> no, I, I, I could hear it in his voice. I never it's heard him sound so sad. 
It's hard, but you know, I gotta, I gotta be a professional, man. I gotta be a professional. Should I, should Chris, should I, should I pour one out for my man Brandon Carr, or should I just be like, hey, you know what? This is the business. Uh, they, they got some, some potential replacements on the roster, or you know, they'll, they'll find somebody in free agency or the draft. I think it might be the, the last one. I think they might have to go in the draft because when you look at the guys in the draft, there are a number of, you know, highly athletic hybrid guys who could, you know, definitely not fill that role immediately because he was he was capable of playing three different positions on the field. So you're not going to get a rookie that could just do that right away, but have the potential to develop into that. And, you know, Kerry brought up Deshaun Elliott, too. Now, you know, the jury's still out because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But when he's been healthy, he's shown some flashes. And that's a guy that if he can stay healthy, I I feel like he can he can move into a, a similar role where he can be that interchangeable, you know, free safety to strong safety. And I think last year he even played some dimebacker a little bit um, earlier in the season before he got injured. So that that's a possibility as well. But um, as far as Carr, I don't I feel like they they probably just want to get a little bit more athletic on the back end because um, we saw at times where teams would would pick on him. You know, we saw that, you know, the Titans game, even though he had great coverage and it took a tremendous catch for for that that John Lewis Smith touchdown. Um, he was there, but we just we saw teams pick on him. We go to the Chiefs game as well. Um, it's, it's things like that where, where you see teams start to single out certain players on the, in the secondary where it's like, oh, so, you know, offensive coordinators are seeing that this guy is the weak link. And, you know, I'm sure the Ravens are aware of that too. And unfortunately that's just, you know, the way it goes. I mean, he think he's like 33 now. So, I mean, next year it could, you know, it could be an even bigger dip in, in production and play. So I don't I mean, if they can bring him back, that'll be great because, you know, you, like we always talk about, we like the continuity and, you know, the leadership that he brings. But um, as far as on the field, I think it it might be time for them to, to start thinking about, you know, the, the, the future the and start maybe get his replacement or start grooming someone to take on that role. Well, he was. The classic, uh, you hear this phrase all the time, the best ability is availability. Uh, a guy who never missed a game uh, yeah. in his career. Um, but let me, let me, I know we'll probably get into some some broader free agent talk here in a minute. Um, we got one, one more kind of Raven specific one we want to do. But let me just throw out this name early as one that has a somewhat similar skill set. Uh, was a Cleveland Brown, so people might not love that. Demarius Randall. Marius Randall is a guy who has played corner going back to his days in Green Bay, uh, came to Cleveland and moved to safety. I actually think he's a more natural safety than he is a corner, but has the skill set to do both if you need him to. Um, so just a name to keep in mind. You know, we'll see how things go. I don't know. I don't know that I've seen any reported signing uh, with him. So um, I think that's somebody that's out there. And as, he's still pretty young. He's a, he's yeah, 27. Yeah. 27. Yeah. And um, I had to write him up for the um, Scouting Academy two years ago. I think it was two years ago. So I got it. Yeah, because he was I think he was still in. Was he still in? No, 
Yeah, he was in Cleveland by the time. Um, but I, I did go back and look at some of his his Green Bay film too. So um, I actually was was kind of pleasantly surprised. You know, I really didn't know much about him. I, I hadn't watched him closely or paid much attention. So I kind of went in with a clean slate, and I was like, this, this guy's got got kind of an interesting skill set. So um, just a name. It's easy for 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 people to throw out names, so why not? Um, <laughs> so look, let's let's hit this this next one. Let's do a little rapid fire round, speed round approach with this one because these are all um, guys who could be back. I think you know I'll get, I'll get both of your your opinion on it, but I think there's kind of probably a general probably consistent uh, consensus among the fan base. If you could bring these guys back, it's probably not going to cost you a lot. Um, so if you could bring them back and they want to come back, um, then, then it kind of makes sense. But uh, we'll just go through them one at a time and I'll bounce them back and forth off of each of you just to get your take. So first, um, we'll just say, let me know if you would like to see them back or not. And then, you know, maybe just a reason, you know, on either side of that, um, you know, kind of why you, you, you'd like to see them back or not see them back. So let me come to you first, Kerry, and we'll start with Pernell McPhee. Uh, absolutely. He's a he he's a guy I think we talked about before. Um, he gives you that ability uh, to set the edge and play the run um, and then also chip in uh, as an edge rusher and an interior rusher. And um, he showed last year, you know, he still has some good football left in him. So um, if they can get that worked out, he, he's definitely a guy I would love to see back in uh, in a Ravens uniform. If uh, there's a poster for play like a Raven, like what that guy would look like, he's definitely one of those guys. Chris, oh, yeah. uh, McFeezy, what do you think? Bring him back or no? Definitely bring him back. The, the way you feel about Brandon Carr is the way I feel about McFeezy. Yeah, I mean, he, I, he's a guy that, you know, I remember you saying this last year um, in, in a piece that you did with uh, with Dev. Shout out to Dev. Um, you guys did a, a great project on uh, McPhee, and one of the one of the main points that you guys hit on was managing his snap count and not having him play high snaps. And I feel like coming into 2020, this will be the perfect situation for him to where he can actually do that because we saw that plan go right out the window earlier um, in the season, and he had to play, you know, like 50, 60 percent of the snaps sometimes just because they didn't have anyone else that was effective. So I think with these new guys that we brought in and the depth that they have, it is a perfect situation where they could, you know, keep him at a certain number of snaps and have him healthy and fresh throughout the season. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make that three. Um, I'm a big Pernell McPhee fan, always have been, still am. Um, if they can get him back and he wants to be back, I'm all for it. Um, all right, let's jump back to you, Kerry, and let's go with a guy I like to call uh, the stabilizer, Josh Bynes. Uh, absolutely. Um, he was a guy that, um, again, and he came off the street last year, and um, he did exactly that, stabilizing force. Um, he's a guy that's not going to, um, you know, beat anybody in no foot races, uh, but he's instinctive. Um can get off of blocks and I mean it's just it's amazing really I mean there's no other word for it uh the Ravens came in with the plan that inside linebacker 
and they had to totally reverse course. And for them to get as good a play as they got out of him and LJ4 is like nothing short of remarkable. So, um, you know, we talked about before about that inside linebacker position and platooning it. Um, he's a, a big part of why I think they can, you know, continue to do that uh, in the short term and, you know, not put so much pressure on a rookie to come in and, and play, a, you know, have a leverage amount of snaps. All right, Chris, Josh Bynes, what do you think? I'm just going to take the easy route and I'm going to copy and paste what Carrie just said and I'm going to insert <laughs> it right here. Because <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. There you go. I love it. Well, hey, so so far, I mean, people might be thinking, hey, these, these guys are all are all saying the same thing <laughs> about all of these players. But uh, I'm, I'm right there with with both of you. And, but, and the, the, the thing is, is these guys are going to be cheap, too. Well, I mean, I don't know about Bynes because I saw a report that uh, Green Bay was sniffing around. But, I mean, these guys are going to be relatively cheap, too. So that's the thing is that they're going to be bringing in guys that are familiar with the culture, that are familiar with the defense, and that are going to be relatively cheap. And, you know, I mean, you would hope that these aren't going to be guys that you have to lean on either. So these are going to be role players who can help you groom the younger guys. So it's when you say bring them back, it's almost like a no-brainer because – these are these are the guys that you want. These are the kind of vets that you want on your team. Those role players that you see that are so instrumental to team success. Yeah. Before before we we move on to the next guy, last thing I'll say on Josh Mines, just to put this. I mean, and, and Kerry, you mentioned it, how amazing he was. Just push this in in the context. Uh, 2018, right? Four year before he came to the Ravens, he's with Arizona. Last game he played before suffering an injury was Week 12. So he's out from Week 12 until week five of 2019, the Steelers game. Plays 42 snaps in that game, gets a pick. <laughs> just all, just off the couch, off the couch, right? I'm in the game, 42 snaps, pick. Obviously, you know, Josh was working out, keeping himself in shape. He talked about that. He's a professional. He was just staying ready, right? Get ready, so, I'll, you know, stay ready, so yeah. I have to get ready. Um, so you just respect professionals like that, right? Um, so, yeah, man, to me, he's a no-brainer. All right. So uh, here's another one near and dear to my heart. Co-Cat, back to you, Carrie. Anthony Levine. Um, another one. Sign me up. Uh, you know, standout special teamer. Uh, we all saw, I mean, his his role as a dimebacker uh, kind of diminished um, as uh, Chuck Clark kind of took off. But he's a guy that can still give you quality snaps as a dimeback. And again, we talk about continuity. Um, he's a you know very respected uh, figure in that locker room, um, and you know again, Co-Cat, why would you not bring him back? Absolutely, man, absolutely. Hey, before I before I get your thought on him, Chris, y'all might have seen it. Somebody tried to call Co-Cat out on his aides the other day. He had to set <laughs> him straight. He had to set him straight. Hey, I'm a beast on teams, and I do my thing on defense. And we remember when Eric Weddle was here, right? That was one of the first guys that Eric Weddle said, hey, this guy needs to be playing more on defense. Why are you only letting this guy play special teams? This dude is a baller. And um, Levine always credits uh, Weddle for that. When people ask him about Weddle, like, he went to bat for me. You know, he saw uh, my potential and went to went to bat for me with the coaching staff. And then we saw in 2018, 
like you like you mentioned, when he really did play uh, uh, more of those those dime linebacker snaps, we saw just how effective he was. So um, that'll be my sale. That, I'm going to just insert my vote right there. So I ain't got to say nothing else. Chris, <laughs> Cole Cap, what do you think? Bring you back or no? How, how can you not love the Cole Cap? How, how can you not love him? I mean, the guy, like you said, he's a beast on special teams. And when he's when he's playing it at that dime backer role, he produces. I mean, there's I, I don't have any any complaints about Levine, and he's you know that we know how important special teams is for this team for this uh, Raven squad. So I definitely bring him back. All right, so here's the last guy, and I'm gonna go back to you, Kerry. Now this might be the one where we get some disagreement. Maybe we'll see. Maybe not. Jimmy Smith, uh, obviously the cornerback market uh, early on for some of the bigger name guys. Been pretty robust. Uh, obviously, Byron Jones backed up the truck. Miami, right? 82 million. James Bradbury, 43 million. Trey Waynes. Hold on, wait a minute. Does that say Trey? <laughs> Trey Waynes, 42 million. <laughs> yes, that does say Trey Waynes. Holy. Shit. All right. Um, so that market's obviously been pretty robust. But is it now going to start to slow down a little bit? And then also factoring in Jimmy's age, because Chris Harris, who's 30, a year younger than Jimmy, he got a deal, too. But it's two years, 17 million dollars. Uh, these other guys are, you know, late 20s, mid late 20s. Jimmy's 31, probably going to be 32 uh, at some point during 2020 season. So, Kerry, Jimmy Smith, bring him back or no? See, this one is tough, man, because I feel like I forget which year it was, but there was a year. Um, where Jimmy got hurt and the Ravens just really didn't have a lot of talent outside of him as it was. And I mean, by the end of the year, they were just just struggling, man. They were just picking guys up off the street. And I feel like ever since that point, the Ravens have been obsessed with making sure they have quality corners. Like, I, I, liter- I literally think uh, Ozzy and DaCosta and those guys have like a recurring nightmare that mm-hmm. they wake up and they look at the depth chart and it's like six Frank Walkers on there and they just go into this like, <laughs> frenzy and panic. So you know they you you know they want to bring him back. Uh, the tricky part is all these other guys that we talked about bringing back um, shouldn't really cost a lot of money. Jimmy is the one where I, I don't know if he's going to cost a lot. But he's going to cost enough where you almost have to decide, okay, am I going to pay him or is there a second tier edge guy out there that can kind of give me something, um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a guy that got cut today, uh, Clay Matthews. Mm-hmm. You know, do you bring in a Clay Matthews at, you know, at that mid tier kind of money? Or do you bring back Jimmy to be that fourth corner? Um, to me, it, it I'm kind of going to take, uh, you know, a coward's way out and say maybe. Kind of just depends on what happens with the um, with the edge market, uh, with the wide receiver market. I mean, there's still some wide receivers kind of hanging out there that, you know, maybe there's a. Uh, one year prove it kind of deal or, you know, something in that range. So I think there's still some kind of things to kind of, you know, work out before I can say, you know, a definite yes on Jimmy. 
All right, Chris. It's on you, man. Jimmy Smith, bring him back. All right. I'm going to say don't bring him back. Uh, mainly not has nothing to do with the player, but it has to do with price. So right now they've, you know, they've been spending their money and, you know, their things seem like they're going to be a little bit tight, especially with if Judon is on the roster at his current number. And with the deals that we've been seeing, not just the big guys, because Josh Norman was signed too. Josh Norman got, you know, one year, $6 million deal. Now, if he's going to be getting $6 million, in my opinion, and I think in the opinions of a lot of folks that watch football, they would say Jimmy Smith at this point is better than Josh Norman. So you would think if Josh Norman is getting $6 million, what is Jimmy worth? Is he worth 10? I'm not, I'm not sure what that number is. I don't know what number the Ravens have. I don't know what number Jimmy has, but I would say that it should be, you know, around 10 if Josh Norman is getting 6 million. So if it's at that number, I don't know if the Ravens can, can take that on for, you know, a, a third corner or maybe sometimes fourth corner, who knows with, you know, Tavon Austin, I mean, Tavon Austin, Tavon Young, because um, Tavon Young should be back and playing that, that slot role. So it's not going to be Jimmy going into the slot. So who knows how many, I mean, it's not going to be Marlon, sorry not going to be Marlon playing the slot again this year hopefully so how many snaps is that for Jimmy then if it's Marlon and Marcus on the outside and then Tavon in the slot that's to pay 10 million dollars for you know a a depth guy at that point that's that's a hefty price tag and you know I mean we've like Kerry said I mean we all we're all scarred with the Frank Walker years but um, at the same time that's that's a hefty price for someone who who, you know, you don't really want him to be playing a prominent role because that means somebody got hurt. Yeah, those are some scary times. <laughs> those are definitely <laughs> some scary times. And I don't blame them uh, for, you know, wanting to, you know, kind of go overboard uh, with corners, uh, you know, not, not just because of, of what happened during those years, but just, you know, just the way the game is played now. I mean, you, you, you're going to need depth at that position. I remember, was it, was it Ozzy? They might not have been Ozzy, but somebody I remember connected to the Ravens talked about corners. And they might even been talking about Jimmy specifically. Uh, one of the times where he got injured, where he said, you know, these guys are like high performance cars, you know, they're like Ferraris, you know, when they're, when they're, you know, running at, at their optimal, you know, rate, they're performing at their optimal level. You know, they're amazing, but when they break and they break often, uh, it's very expensive. <laughs> so you, 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 you've got to have these guys. So uh, that's like a stall tactic uh, for me to basically say, I think I'm I'm think I'm with you uh, with over you guys. I mean, I, I think it's 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 the cost benefit thing. Right. And you you laid it out uh, really clearly, Chris, just. When you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be your fourth corner, right? You're 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 going out there with Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, hopefully uh, Tavon <laughs> can can you know kind of have better luck with injuries this year because I think he's a dog at slot corner. Um, you've got Anthony Averett, you've got uh, Mom Marshall. You don't really know what you have with him because he, he didn't get a chance to play a lot of corner um, last year, but you know they're they're there and on the roster. Um, 
you've got some other guys um, kind of, you know, towards the back end of that that depth chart, Terrell Bonds. Um, and then, you know, you've got the draft and and we'll talk about that a little bit later. You got nine picks there. And then free agency, you know, we you mentioned it, Kerry. They 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 don't, you know, spend a lot of money in the front part of that store. They're gonna walk to the back and check out them clearance racks first. And there's gonna be some guys there who you'll be able to bring in if you're looking for that kind of depth corner position, that fourth or fifth corner, and, and he's probably not going to command the same price that Jimmy's going to command. So I think that's really what it comes down to. You guys both laid it out. It's nothing against Jimmy as a player. He'd love to have him back as a player, but um, for what you think his role, you know, you're trying to project what you think his role is probably going to be, you know, the cost associated with that uh, is probably a little more than what you want to pay. So that's kind of where I'm at um, in agreement with you guys on Jimmy. So now let's broaden it out a little bit um, with free agents. I kind of want to touch on this before we talk about the draft and, and these nine picks they have now. So I'll admit I'm cheating a little bit here. I got the Roto World free agency page up. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's start uh, with you this time, Chris. Are there any free agents, and this could be in any position, um, you know, that that um, – you would like to target and take it, you know, let's, let's, yeah, let's do it this way. Take it, take it either way that maybe you would target. This is like what they do with, with a mock draft, right? It's either what you think is going to happen or what you think the team is going to do. So let's, let's do it that way. What maybe some guys that you might target just personally, and then maybe a guy or two that you think the team might actually target. If you think that's different than, than the guy that you have in mind. All right. So my guy is the same. It's the same. I think they should target. And I think, uh, and I would like them to target. And that's a guy that's, uh, you know, he's just released today. And that's Clay Matthews from mm-hmm. the Rams. Um, he's a guy that where we know the Ravens were interested in him last year. And he actually chose between the Ravens and the Rams. And, you know, West Coast guy figured he wanted to go back to the West Coast. And he chose the Rams. And he jokingly said he should have, you know, in hindsight, he should have went with the Ravens. And, um I think he's a guy that they could use uh, another veteran presence um, um, opposite a Judon who can rush the passer and, you know, bring some juice on the edge uh, that the Ravens don't have. Because right now they have two young guys in Bowser and Ferguson, and you have to figure they'll draft one, too. But, you know, as we know, it doesn't always go smooth with these young guys. So it would definitely help to have a veteran presence who could take some of those snaps and, and just be that, that reliable, you know, that reliable dog who was, st- he could still bring some juice off the edge. I mean, he was, he was pretty good for the, the Rams last year. So I, he's a guy that I would, I would definitely like to see, see them go after. And I don't think he'd be expen- that expensive either. No, no, I think you could definitely get him at a reasonable price. Um, so let me go to you, Kerry, same thing. Um, maybe a player or two that you, are interested in targeting in free agency or, or, or one that you think the team will target if that, if they, if they're different. Yeah. Guy I'm looking at is uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I expected things to be kind of uh, louder for him, um, but you really haven't heard much about, you know, a lot of interest. Um, I heard one report that said that Dallas uh, was interested, but that's the only thing I heard. And, and obviously if he went there, uh, with Amari Cooper and uh, Michael Gallup entrenched there, um, he would be that slot that, you know, that third receiver. Um, 
And to me, that that means that maybe the money isn't quite to his liking, if that's the only interest that we're hearing. Um, you know, he's a guy that um, whether it be at the um, slot role or out wide, um, he's an immediate um, help. So, you know, if they can kind of uh, find a number uh, that works for both sides, um, I think he would be, um, you know, a tremendous add. Um, and, you know, keeping with the wide receiver theme, um, another one is um, um, Robbie Anderson. You know, I mentioned him before, and I figured he'd be a guy that would be off the board by now and, you know, be looking at a 10, 11, 12 million dollar year. Um, I mean, you know, 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year uh, kind of deal. And that hasn't materialized to this point. Um, so he's another guy that, depending on, um, you know, what things look like for him, you know, maybe that's a guy that uh, may look to, uh, you know, just try to find the best situation in a one year situation uh, to try to, you know, hit the market again and, and try to find that payday that he really wants. And, you know, we're not used to this with the Ravens, but, you know, we have Lamar Jackson and an exciting offense. And if a guy is looking to try to get back out there, um, you know, the, the Ravens offer one of the best situations for them because they have, you know, Hollywood Brown, but then they don't have a lot else as far as established uh, receivers. So, you know, it's a really, really advantageous spot for a guy to, to look at it and say, hey, the offers aren't there this year, but I can go into this situation, uh, play well, be productive, and play deep into the postseason, and then I can hit the market again, and um, you know maybe you know there'll be money, and I can you know fare a little bit, um, better that way. So I'm looking at those two guys as guys that um, you know I didn't think that um, the Ravens would have an opportunity to get you know, going into free agency, but with things being kind of quiet on both of their fronts, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there. Yeah, that that wide receiver market has been a little slow. And I think, um, you know, all the talk about the depth of the wide receiver class in the draft probably has teams um, kind of pumping the brakes a little bit on, you know, signing signing wide receivers in free agency because they're probably thinking, hey, this class is as good as they say it is, as good as we think it is. Uh, we might be able to get some guys there, but you know, well, there, there's going to be some movement. Obviously, um, going to be some free agent wide receivers who who start to sign deals. That's just a matter of time. Uh, we talked about cornerback a little bit, so I'm going to throw out a couple of corners um, who I'm I'm interested in and who I think the team could could target as well. Um, just the little bit that I've watched of these guys, they kind of strike me as guys. Um, who, who kind of fit the Ravens profile, especially especially this first guy, um, Logan Ryan. Um, he definitely strikes me as kind of a Ravens kind of guy, just, you know, all about team, um, you know, going to do whatever you ask him to do. Obviously, we saw him most recently in that Titans game, um, primarily played uh, as a slot corner the last couple of years. Uh, as much as I love Tavon, you, you do have to be realistic about the injury risk. Uh, I mean, it's something that that's on his record. You know, it's been a part of his record. You hope it's behind him, but but it's there. And, you know, if it, if it you know, unfortunately pops up again, um, you want to have another guy who can who can play that that role. 
and not necessarily have to pull a guy um, from, you know, another another cornerback position and kind of fit him in there. They, you mentioned it uh, with Marlon Humphrey, Chris. They, they were able to do it and it, and it worked out reasonably well. Uh, but you prefer not to have to do that. And I think having a guy like him, he's 29 years old. Um, so, you know, getting getting a little close to to maybe older than you might want to go at at corner. But, you know, if he's a deaf guy for you, you might be OK with that. Um, and another guy, this would be more of a, an outside corner type guy, um, uh, Ronald Darby. I'm, I, I'm not sure Ronald Darby has been a starter, was a starter with the Eagles. So I'm not sure if he's somebody who's going to be interested in coming in and being part of a rotation, particularly where he's probably not going to start in that rotation. Uh, I don't know if that's something that he's going to be interested in, but he's another guy uh, that I got to write up uh, in the scouting Academy. And I really was impressed with his game um, of the, the defensive back group that we had to do that year. Let's see, he was in it and it would, they, when they do it, they mix um, corners and safeties just in, in, they lump them into defensive back. So you have to do five of those guys. So he was there. Randall was there. Justin Simmons, who I love is there. Uh, he's obviously not available anymore. Um, and there were two other corners. I can't remember the other two guys, but um, Darby really kind of surprised me uh, with, with how much I liked him. I think he's got a very defined skill set. I think he's an outside corner. Um, I think he can run. Uh, and I think he's 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 best kind of in. Um, he'd be a good fit in their scheme. I, they, they play a lot of man. And I think he's pretty good in man. Uh, because of that speed, I think he's got pretty good ability to transition and change direction from what I remember from that report. So I think he'd be pretty good in a man's game. Of course, he's got some durability issues, so that could be something that uh, turns them off. And then again, like I said, he he may want to start somewhere. Um, he may not be looking to come in and be a part of the rotation, but just a, you know, a guy in addition to Logan Ryan, who I I'd be interested in. So let's uh, let's put a bow on the free agency talk right there, and then. Uh, draft season, everybody's favorite season, probably aside from the regular season. Everybody loves the draft, uh, particularly on Twitter. Uh, the Ravens are now up to nine draft picks with some of these recent moves that we talked about earlier. And I think it's worth kind of just, you know, laying these out for, for everybody, for the listeners. So they've got one first round pick, obviously. They now have two second round picks uh, with the pick that they got from the Falcons. That's number 55. They have their third round pick. They have a third round comp pick. Thank you, CJ. Uh, They have a fourth round pick from the Pats. That was, I believe, the Jermaine Illuminor trade, which is another. I mean, people talk about the Kari Vedvik one because he was a kicker. But I mean, you know, if you're a Ravens fan, you kind of know what Jermaine Illuminor was doing here. And the the fact that they got a fourth round pick, uh, pretty sweet. Um, (laughs) They have their own fourth round pick. A fifth round pick, the Kari Vedvik deal. I think you just hold that pick. I don't think you ever do anything with it. It's like a badge of honor, right? You just like put it up on the wall and just say, this is, we, we literally finesse this team for a kicker who is no longer in the league. Um, and then a seventh round pick. So nine picks. And, you know, I think we all know how much the Reagan's organization values picks. You heard Ozzy talk about it all the time. We love picks. We love picks. I think Eric DaCosta right in that same mode, same line and thinking so much. So we saw what it was like for him not to have a second round pick uh, just a year back about drove him crazy. Um, so let me start with you this time, Chris, with these nine picks um, and all the things that we've talked about, the moves they've made, the guys they've released, 
some of the kind of unknowns. I know it can be hard to make a decision when you're not sure about who's going to be here, not going to be here. But with that, you know, sort of arsenal of picks, where do you kind of see uh, them going in terms of draft plans and how all of this that we've talked about kind of kind of impacts the draft? Um, I think they're they're gearing up to to have a, a, a really offensive heavy draft. Um, and that's multiple positions. So we talked about the, the interior. Um, we didn't even hit on the the tackle. I mean, they don't have a backup tackle right now with James Hurst not on the on the roster. Uh, so that's a, a position that they need to hit on as well. Maybe not high, but you definitely want to take a developmental guy. Um, then now we have an open position for the third tight end. We saw how many snaps Hurts played, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's a position that you know it, it needs to be filled. I mean, it, that, that's just it's not like a regular team's third tight end. You know, this this guy plays a vital role, whether it's blocking or even in the pass game. So that's a, another position position that they need to hit on. Um, we obviously know the wide receiver. You know, they need to maybe take one within the first round or two, maybe even three. Who knows? But it's certainly high on the list. And one that's gaining steam with the national media is the running back position. Mm. Um, whether it's in the first or the fourth, um, I believe they will take one at some point in the draft. So I do think it'll be a highly offensive heavy draft for them. But then we also know they still have a huge need at linebacker, too, even if they bring back. You know, Josh Bynes, I know they already have LJ Ford there, but they need a, a young guy there, too, that they can they can groom and, and you know, have that that homegrown guy in the middle of this this defense. Um, and then a, another position that might be, you know, one to hit on, you know, with Carl even is a, a, a safety, a guy who could maybe play high and, you know, have Chuck Clark play closer to the line because like you said with Carr there they had that that versatility and that luxury where they could have Chuck Clark playing closer to the line while having Brandon Carr play deep and that's not something that every guy could do as we saw with Tony Jefferson so that's a that's a a position I think they would hit on as well and again you know the draft the, the edge position they need an edge guy they need somebody opposite of Judon who could, you know, hopefully, you know, bring that, that, that Peter Bullware kind of, kind of rookie season in a way that's what you're hoping for. Um, so I, I think those are the, the main positions that they need to hit on in the draft. Kerry, let me bounce it over to you, man. So, um, nine picks, got a couple picks there in a second couple picks in the third, couple picks in the fourth. Uh, how do you think uh, that, you know, kind of the draft capital they have to work with and some of the moves that they've already made uh, affect their plans? Yeah, so I think the first thing is with the amount of picks that they have and the quality of the picks that they have, it really can kind of strengthen their resolve at going um, best player available at 28. Um, you know, if uh, if the right guy falls that, you know, is not necessarily considered, uh, you know, a top need, they can they can pull the trigger on that player 
and still feel comfortable with being able to plug in, um, you know, knees in the second, third and fourth round. Um, so um, I think it was uh, Cole Jackson early on Twitter. Um, he talked about a conversation you guys had and uh, he was talking about uh, the safety Xavier McKinney, you know, say if he gets to 28 and this is another thing where I, you know, kind of alluding back to what I was talking about before, where when you look at, uh, you know, a site that might list the Ravens needs, safety is not going to be on that list. But here is a guy that um, can give you quality snaps, um, you know, very early on, at the very least playing that card, deep safety role um, in the dime package. He can also play some dime backer. And then he gives you um, kind of um, assurance that you have a, a free safety of the future um, and, you know, takes pressure off of you as far as uh, Earl Thomas goes, you know, whenever that that situation, you know, moves in a direction where maybe they need to move on um, from him. Uh, so I think that's an option. I also think, you know, trading down from 28 is an option if they feel like they have multiple um, guys on the board that they like and they, they feel like they can kind of scoop up some more value and move down and still get a guy that they like, um, they can really kind of move up and down the board early on. And, you know, they can, you know, work it in a way where they have a just a haul of top 100 players and, you know, really, re- I hate to say replenish because this is a talented roster, um, but, you know, there are spaces and, you know, situations where they can get, you know, better as a team. You know, Chris alluded to some of them. Uh, they need to get a inside linebacker, you know, some youth there and somebody that can play some high leverage snaps, um, you know, maybe not in 2020, but, you know, 2021 and going forward um, with the situation with the edge, regardless of what happens with Judon, uh, they need to uh, add one probably two um edge guys um in this class um you know they like corners so you know it doesn't matter what happens they're not going to leave the fourth round or fifth round without a corner we can you know pencil that in um even though they 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 brought in um um and resigned some you know guys along the defensive line and they have dale and matt coming back um i wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a guy, you know, mid to late rounds to kind of groom, especially a guy that maybe is an interior kind of disruptor upfield guy that maybe is not ready to play um, run defense in the NFL. I could see that as a possibility. Um, Running back, um, they're pretty stocked at running back, but, you know, there is a good running backs in this in this uh, class. And if they see value there, that's, you know, obviously a situation where they could do that. Um, I think they draft at least one receiver. Um, my guess would be probably two. And now we have a tight end situation where they probably need to spend a mid, um, you know, four fifth uh, round pick on a tight end. So, um, a lot of different ways they can go, but I think they're in a position where uh, they can really capitalize on uh, getting quality in a draft. Yeah, I, I really like uh, a couple of points that both of you guys hit on. I'm just going to piggyback on them. Um, you both mentioned tight end. I think that probably um, 
is is something that I mean, obviously Hayden's gone now, so people are thinking about it. But I don't know if they're thinking about it maybe or, or realizing as much of a hole that is now. I mean, Boyle played almost 70 percent of the snaps, but um, Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst were really close. Mark Andrews played 44 percent. And I know he dealt with some injuries, so that kind of you know impacted that. But Hayden Hurst played 41 percent of the snaps. So you're pretty close there. So, you know, those snaps have to be replaced. I don't think you're going to see this offense. um you know, go from uh, one that used, you know, three tight ends, you know, regularly to one who who maybe scales that back a ton. You know, maybe they dial it back a little depending on, you know, the quality of player that they can get there. But it's obviously, you know, a part of their system and, and something that they like doing. So I definitely think tight end um, is, is maybe more of a, a position that they'll look to to restock than maybe people think. Um no disrespect to Cole Herdman or, or any of these other guys that they kind of had on the practice squad, but um, I think they're always going to be looking to improve there. Um, two more things I think I wanted to hit on. Linebacker is kind of interesting to me just because of some of the signings that have taken place uh, with you know in free agency and, and maybe how that impacts where some of those line those guys go in the draft. Uh, I think kind of the the consensus top two guys at that. Off the ball linebacker position have been Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, however you want to mix them up. But if you look at some of these moves, um, the Raiders signed in Corey Littleton, the Jags signed in Joe Schobert, uh, Green Bay signing Christian Kirksey, um, you know, teams who are picking kind of in that middle towards, you know, early to mid 20s range who've signed, you know, off the ball linebackers to. Um, at least, you know, Littleton and Schobert, those are, are, are very lucrative deals. Kirksey deal, not not that big of a deal. Um, even Chicago in there, I almost forget, re-signing Danny Trevathan. So, you know, you wonder if because they've committed those kind of financial resources to those guys, if maybe if, if linebacker might have been a consideration for them in the first round, maybe maybe it's not um, at that point. So maybe there's a chance. Um, one or both of those guys, you know, fall down the board a little bit, or maybe not, you know, who knows? It's the draft. Um, and the other thing that um, you both kind of touched on, and, and we've seen it, uh, you can go back to Ozzy's last draft. They love to move around the board uh, when they're in the draft. If they can slide back and get more picks and move around, uh, they're definitely going to do that. And you can almost, you know, it's really not hard to see that at 28, right? I think it was um, the old uh, Green Bay Packers general manager, Ron Wolf, who who said that, in, at least in, from his perspective, there's typically 20 to maybe 23 or 24 true first round graded players in the first round of a draft. Yeah, they're 32 picks, but they're probably not 32 guys that have a true first round grade. And so... You know, if you just take that as kind of a ballpark kind of rule of thumb, if the guys that the Ravens have a true first round grade on are not there at 28 and you can slide back to the early second round, early mid second round, then why not? You know, why not? Um, Because, you know, I think you both said it. Ideally, you probably want to use free agency to try to, you know, supplement as many needs as you can so that you're able to go into the draft and really, truly, you know, people throw BPA, best player available around all the time. But I think that's really what you want to be in position to do. Just take the best player that's on the board, regardless of position, except for, you know, obvious stuff like quarterback or something like that. So 
Um, if you don't have a first round graded guy when you get to 28 and you're able to get on the phone and, and work out a deal and slide back and get some other picks, then, you know, don't force it. I think that's where teams make mistakes is where maybe they're at a pick and they don't have a grade that's commiserate with that pick and they go ahead and pull the trigger on a guy, you know, um, and I, I don't know that the Ravens do that a ton, but I think that's definitely something that you want to try to avoid if you can. And um, I think DaCosta has shown in, in just with only one draft under his belt that um, he's going to stick to his board. He's going to be true to his board and, and he's not necessarily somebody who's going to reach for players. Um, so it's going to be fun, man. How about this guy right here? Underrated underground rapper. He's a lyricist, <laughs> and he's country, 100 bucks. You can't go any lower than that? Nope. 90 bucks. That was then, this is now, this for show, let them know. That was then, this is me, this is king, you ain't no.